Have you heard about Rethink Retail's newest community, the Global Retail Leaders? Retailers, listen up, because this one's for you. This fall, we'll be announcing our Global Retail Leaders, an exclusive collective of executives leading transformation at top retail companies around the globe. Check out this community to learn how Rethink Retail will provide you with endless opportunities for career advancement, networking, and thought leadership collaboration to help set you apart from the pack. To learn more, visit rethink.industries slash nominate GRL. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rethink Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Venki Schenker, and today I'm speaking with my guest, Nicole Johnson. Nicole is a partner at Forerunners Ventures, a leading venture capital firm that supports trailblazing companies such as Chime, Dollar Shave Club, Fair, Glossier, Away, Warby Parker, The S, Curated, and dozens more. Prior to Forerunner, Nicole worked with Sapien Nitro, a leading brand and digital strategy consulting company, where she supported Fortune 500 retailers on their global retail strategies. Nicole is a graduate of Princeton University and was named one of Forbes 30 under 30 in 2016. Welcome to the show, Nicole. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It is wonderful to have the person of your experience on the show. First look. Could you please kick us off with sharing a little bit about your journey, particularly in the retail space that has landed you at Forerunner and what are you currently doing at Forerunner? Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, had a pretty non-traditional path into the venture capital world. Uh, After studying psychology at Princeton, I made a last minute choice to go into the business world, took this fascination I had with the consumer psyche joined a digital agency working with blue chip retail brands. Uh, my job as a as a junior analyst there was helping huge retailers. This was the throes of 2012-2013 digital transformation with the advent of e-commerce. And I just became really fascinated with this new emerging model, disruptive at the time, the direct consumer model, uh, the, the Warby Parkers, Dollar Shave Clubs, Bonobos of the world were gaining steam at the time. And uh, I was I was looking to get more involved in in that world versus consulting with with the big players in this space. That's how I found my way to Forerunner. The firm had a stake in the ground about backing these uh, next generation companies in the retail space. And honestly, the best part about it, besides this thematic focus I was aligned with, was that this small team of just women. It was two women at the time: the the founder Kirsten Green and my now partner Yuri Kim. It's just the two of them. They were doing something different in, in venture capital. A lot of VC looked really similar at the time. And you could tell that these, these women were, were hustling to make their own space in the field. And I, and I knew I wanted to be a part of that. So that's how I made my way to Forerunner. That's a great story. I particularly like the fact that you started out as a psychology major and then ventured into digital and disruptive digital. Tell us a little bit about the DTC world that you got used to. And at that time, I'm sure that must have been quite revolutionary. I look back at 2012. At that time, this was a bold play. How was the uh, scenario then and how did it evolve and how did you grow with that space? 
so I'll, I'll take a chance to share a little bit more about Forerunner here too. So for a long time, we were we were synonymous with consumer investing and uh, early days, a lot of that cachet came from my team's investments in the first wave of D2C players, the, the Dollar Shave Clubs, the Warby Parkers, the Glasses of the world. Like you said, there's a lot of momentum uh, in, with this with this new model for, for retail. And at Forerunner, our, our philosophy and our, our North Star has always been the consumer. We've always been looking around the corner in the broader consumer and commerce ecosystem, trying to figure out new business opportunities that are going to serve tomorrow's consumer and, and support all the ways they need and want to engage with the world around them. So uh, along the way, we've we've evolved from this, this focus on uh, that, that early focus on D2C to address all things commerce and consumer. So we're investing heavily half of our dollars these days in B2B models, whether that's a wholesale marketplace, a, a payment solution, or a platform helping brands pursue partnerships and, and better distribution. So all that goes to say, we're not specifically investing in D2C, but um, can say for sure that the companies that we are investing in, whether they're selling physical or digital product, they all have an edge in the in the D2C channel. You know, trend-wise, over the years, D2C has evolved a ton. I mean, the 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 most top of mind change is is distribution. This this idea that now you need to be everywhere. So there's there's a ton of challenges that have emerged in the D2C space as it's matured. You have this confluence of of rising consumer acquisition costs and and the iOS privacy changes that have cratered brands to add measurement capabilities. You have logistics mayhem and increased shipping costs. You have more recent uh, weak D2C public market performance after strong debuts. And, and what it all cracks up to is that D2C isn't isn't it's not dead like a lot of people uh, have suggested it is. It's it's. it's it's just it's, beginning, right? It's just it, it's just beginning, and it's just evolving. And and, and right. what's what's what we've all realized is it's not the be all end all for any brand. Right. We're we're a decade past where pursuing this model was at the forefront of retail innovation. It's Correct. it's absolutely still a viable and important channel, but it's just table stakes. It's it's one of the many channels that brands need to pursue to be everywhere the customer is, which is how you win. It happens to be one where brands can create a more standout experience and get to know the consumer better. So you better be good at it if you want right. to win as a modern brand, but uh, it's not going to set you apart. That brings us to this uh, landscape post-pandemic. And we know that during pandemic, a lot of firms shifted online. We had uh, buy online, pick up in store, curbside pickup. Uh, delivered home by online and the entire omni-channel universe opened up for a lot of retailers particularly. And uh, where do you see that heading right now? Do you see more of the same or do you see uh, there's a pushback or pullback on that? Are people going out more to the store now? And uh, are they trying to uh, embrace the in-store shopping experience more? Where do you see this evolving or heading to? Yeah. So I think that stores aren't really going anywhere. So, you know, consumer brands need to be everywhere your consumer is and your consumer uh, lives both online and offline. And you better jump on any chance to control your interactions with them. So some people knock stores. Uh, we've heard a lot of that over the past decade or really since the, the dawn of e-commerce, but I don't think they're going anywhere as a major channel for retail. Retail, it's always coming full circle. And in the case of stores, no matter, no matter how much the digitally native journey evolves or how frictionless or amazing D2C channels get or 
or uh, how much progress we make in new channels like live stream commerce or shopping in the metaverse. Uh, no matter what, consumers always going to head back to the store where it started. So there, there's always going to be reasons to shop offline. Um, you know, there's purchase urgency. There's a desire to touch and feel products sometimes. Sometimes it's just about entertainment value, poking around, uh, or or the social experience of, of shopping and retail. So it's it's all about hybrid distribution these days, given that store is still going to matter, and stores are a a you know an undeniably unique own channel to drive acquisition and retention. Definitely encourage it as at least a small part of a brand's playbook. So that said, from a from a venture investment perspective, the jury's out on retail heavy business model as a as a fit for venture capital. It's a really capital intensive business model to scale. The the growth it supports is is linear, whereas as VCs we need to underwrite to exponential growth to make sure a company and its potential outcome are a fit for for our model. I think that's well put. I, that was the question I was going to ask. Primarily, what are the qualities that uh, you look for in investing? And as you see the challenge of the hybrid, which is scalability with the online that you get, combined with the uh, touch and feel and uh, linear type of uh, growth in the uh, brick and mortar and physical world, how do you balance this? Do you you try to take investments in companies now? You mentioned the ancillary companies in B2B and related spaces. Do you also look for technology companies that enable this omnichannel presence for the enterprise? Yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, you know, almost half of our investing is uh, is B2B or, or B2B2C. And a lot of these are, well, they, they all live in the world of, of commerce enablement or, or somehow related to the commerce ecosystem. So whether that's a wholesale marketplace like FAIR or a, a platform, a retail platform like Neighborhood Goods, which is a way for brands to test out retail instead of investing heavily in it themselves with an owned retail experience. But yes, all that goes to say we are we are heavily supporting all of the tools, technologies that help brands scale better in a modern world. So what do you look for in uh, the team for these uh, newer companies or the are the companies that you like to support are in your portfolio? I mean, are there any qualities uh, that you look for besides, you know, the technology, besides the financial basics? Are there any characteristics of team members that are particularly important to foreigner? Yeah, for sure. We hold ourselves to what we call our, our North Star criteria, and that helps us focus our, our efforts and have a distinct point of view in, in, in terms of what excellence looks like to us at Foreigner. And if I had to sum it up, I'd say we have a, a, a really strong focus on, on brand and people overall, which we've built a brand around in, in the market. So first on that list of uh, Neurostars is, is founder fit. This is, this is the number one. We're looking for a, a compelling founder or co-founders. This person needs to stand to become known for their company. They need to attract all the right resources along the way to really win. They need to be magnetic. They need to be visionary. They need to get team members excited to leave their jobs and come join something new and risky. They need to excite the press. They need to excite downstream investors. So looking for that, that, that visionary who can balance that with near-term and long-term execution capabilities. We're also looking at the, uh, the brand potential of the company. So people often think that Forerunner is just investing in, 
in great brands or helping make great brands. That's not true. We are investing in, brand, in great brands that already exist and where we see a really unique, uh, durable opportunity to leverage a strong brand in the market. And, and this is something we always keep as a lens uh, of, of differentiation at Foreigner, brand brand really matters here. We also think heavily about business impact. So, is this company does does it, is it stand to be a category defining company in a category that has consequence and and reach and huge growth potential? In terms of uh, growth potential, relates to this idea of timeliness. So, is there a really strong why now for this company? Are there huge inefficiencies they can exploit? Are are there major are there major tailwinds supporting the advent of this company? to have to feel like this is an investment we needed to make yesterday. And then lastly, the idea of uh, pride of partnership. So are we truly proud to support the work that this company is doing? We have a, a bias towards sustainable business models, diverse founders, and target markets, addressing real human needs, not just not nice-to-haves, but need-to-haves, and, and also this broader idea of conscious consumerism that we're seeing so much more of in, in today's consumers. That's fantastic, because especially the last few parts you talked about being a socially responsible investment, you know, in terms of sustainability, in terms of promoting diversity. Another thing fascinating is, you know, you have been, you've had women founders or helped women founders, and we know the poor statistics in the VC world that maybe only two to a small single digit percentage of ventures of women founders are funded. And where do you think this is heading and how can we address this imbalance and improve this? Yeah, the numbers, the numbers are are bleak. There's no other way right. to put it. Unfortunately. I, I'm an optimist and I see all of the momentum around supporting female founders. And I, I have to believe that all of the energy and attention going to and, and frankly people's time going to supporting female entrepreneurs has to be making a difference in the years coming. So it still remains to be seen how it shakes out, but I'd love to believe that that the uh, that the numbers tick up over time. Thanks. That's good to hear. But how has the current climate, economic climate, impacted that? Because we know that there's a pullback on IPOs now, and there is SPAC companies are not in favor anymore, at least for the current economic cycle. And would that actually exacerbate the uh, disparity, gender disparity in uh, venture capital industry? Or how can we overcome that? Gosh, I hope not. I mean, again, I hope that that the uh, the top of my, just the, the strong awareness now about the need to back female founders and also the incredible performance of, of some great female founders in the ecosystem should be preventing that from taking a hit in this market. But long story short, I hope not. In terms of the macro, though, how it's affecting the overall market, it's affecting it big time. This this cycle is unlike anything I've experienced in my eight and a half years in the venture capital industry. How is it venture, different? Uh, yeah, so v- venture had a, had a heyday in 2020 and 2021. Record dollars were flowing into the industry. Companies were being born overnight, a lot of energy organizing around new themes, uh, new consumer themes uh, that that emerged during the pandemic. And now as a result of that and the changed macro and particularly the extreme multiple compression in the public markets, 
investors have been operating with extreme caution. You just, you, we don't, the, the, the game has changed. Valuations have come down. People are taking their time as investors. They're doing diligence that they didn't have time to in 2020 and 2021. And overall, you just have a, a slowed and more cautious market. And there's a new set of standards for what good business fundamentals look like. Hey, grocery retailers. Do you know where you'll be next month? Because Rethink Retail will be in sunny Las Vegas attending the world's leading grocery conference. Grocery Shop serves as the industry's personal GPS, helping businesses navigate the rapid rise in e-commerce, the latest business models and technologies, and the changing consumer behaviors that are leaving a lasting impact on the industry. Grocery Shop will be welcoming over 4,000 industry executives and speakers from all over the grocery and CPG space, as well as solution providers with the latest and greatest technologies, and many, many more. Join us September 19th through the 22nd in Las Vegas, Nevada. We hope to see you there. Profitability becomes important, right? Now, yeah, yeah. Or the path to profitability becomes important. Yeah, it's not so much about being profitable today as an early stage company. It's about uh, it's about having a line of sight to profitability and and, and really favorable uh, operating margins at scale. So there it, there's more of a a focus on on getting there than there used to be, and knowing all the levers that you can pull: shorter term, medium term, and longer term to increase the profitability of the business. And all this means for entrepreneurs, it's it's just a, it's just a lot more challenging to raise capital right now. People are making investments. We, we are certainly writing checks, but it's but the the bar is higher than ever before. So, so the deal flow is slowed, I guess, right? Well, you know, it's actually it, it's actually starting to pick up again, which is okay. which is encouraging and, and exciting. But but you just you see VCs pursuing deals with a little bit more intention and and all holding companies to different standards. The, the bar for ex- excellence is way higher. Um, you know, because these companies are going to have to continue to earn the right to stay in business. Are there any spaces or subspaces or domains where there's more scrutiny or more investment right now? If at all, uh, there are some spaces that stand out. What are those and what kind what brands we should be looking out for in those spaces? Yeah, some of the spaces getting more scrutiny. Let's see. Um, there, I mentioned before. There's a lot of uh, a lot of buzz around a handful of categories in the broader commerce ecosystem over the past couple of years, where record dollars flowed into these categories. And some of those, just given all of the activity and now congestion in the market. There's investors have a little bit of pause and, and are trying to cut through the noise. So two categories yeah. that come to mind like that are uh, the creator economy and instant delivery companies. Both of them are, are I would say, you know, less hot from a new investment perspective or a new company perspective than they were a couple years ago because, again, just the, the market has been flooded. There's certainly viable businesses to be built there and there will be winners amongst the existing packs. It's just uh, not the same feeding frenzy that it was last year. That's good to know. But what about blockchain-based, technology-based businesses, particularly in the B2B, that are facilitating or disrupting some of the uh, ecosystem in the retail space? Yeah, they- still still plenty of interest there, I would say. Um, you know, I, I could categorize that for sure as an area that got a ton of buzz and attention, but 
but there's still a strong belief in, in the utility of those platforms to help to help move uh, retail forward. So what would be some of the brands that we should be looking at or what would be some of the hot spaces now that we should be looking at? For example, I'm thinking of uh, micro-fulfillment centers or robotic uh, replenishments. Do you think that those are some of the areas we should be looking at? Absolutely. So, so particularly with retailers, you know, short-term and long-term needs to build more sustainable businesses. Uh, there's a there's a big premium on cracking the code on on automation and and, and increasing profit margins that way. So, uh, on the consumer side, spending a lot of time on the on the better for you sector broadly, better for your health. And then perhaps even more importantly, this idea of, of better for the, the planet. Planet, so, yes. Yeah. So sustainability-wise, consumers are, are finally past the tipping point of awareness and, and are starting to take action. The money question that we're trying to figure out here is what are the, the products and services that balance efficacy and performance and, and parity with existing solutions with actually being better for the planet and being more affordable or, or, or affordable at all for the consumer so that there's not too much of a trade-off to be had. Just to and, clarify, Nicole, are yeah. you saying that consumers are willing to pay a modest amount of premium for better for the planet, better for health products and services, and you're trying to figure out what that is uh, to be you able know, to finance those? Yeah. Some are, but many aren't. So, many aren't, right? so the, the companies that are going to have real mass scale potential, which is what we need to see as venture investors to get excited, are going to need to figure that out. How do you balance uh, being a you know the product is as good or or better than mm-hmm. than existing products that are maybe less sustainable, but it's also um, you know not too much of a premium. So you're 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 somewhere near price parity because we we see that consumers say they want sustainable products, but when it comes down to it, they're often not going to spend that much more for them. So it really could be a tiebreaker for them uh, in terms exactly. of exactly. Right. Okay. But is that is still a very preferable option. Now, related question, Nicole, is what about valuation? I mean, uh, is this a good opportunity for a foreigner to pick up some good companies at attractive valuation or get in, uh, in the ground floor at uh, companies that would finally end up being rich returns for investment for the firm? Yeah, well, a couple of things there. I would say that, you know, good deals, great companies, exceptional founding teams, they're still happening at, at very competitive prices. In the broader market, though, there, there are absolutely uh, better deals to be had today than there were a year ago. That okay. said, I don't know if we've hit the floor yet. Uh, right. I don't, don't know where the market is going. So the deals might look a lot sweeter in six months. But, uh, you know, we're not really, we're not, we're not value hunters at Foreigner. Uh, we're, we're looking, you know, we will pay for the best deals in the market, but yes, broadly things are, are, are cheaper today than they were six, 12, 18 months ago. That's great. On the flip side, we've been talking so much about from the VC perspective, what about the perspective of brands and companies that be looking to the VCs for funding Uh, what should they be looking for? Yeah, absolutely. Entrepreneurs, you should be doing your diligence uh, just like us VCs, just like when we're getting into business with entrepreneurs for potentially, you know, five, 10 years, if this thing is going to work out, they're doing the same with us. So you got to make sure that, um, that you know who you're getting into business with and that you think you can be successful long-term partners together. So 
you got to make sure first and foremost that there's alignment around what success looks like for the company. What does a good outcome look like? You know, how many miles do you want to take this thing? What are the core philosophies that are going to get you there? There, there's just there, there's no fun and, and a ton of friction when stakeholders are misaligned on these topics. So you really want to make sure that you are you are on the same page there. So do your diligence, run your reference checks, um, and 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 make sure you're ready to partner up for what could be a decade. Yeah, you mentioned the word partner is very important. So what I'm hearing is also look for strategic investment rather than just purely financial investment, right? For sure. That's, that's the alignment you're talking about. Okay, on that note, thank you so much again, Nicole, for your time and perspectives. We really learned a lot. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. And yeah, any any uh, builders listening to this, we're looking for, for the best early stage and growth stage companies innovating in, in the commerce sector. So feel free to reach out through our website if you'd like to get in touch. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at Rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing, reviewing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.